Welcome to the One City Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people draw closer to God by practicing the way of Jesus. We hope that your time with us blesses you and that you're able to see the invitations of Jesus to experience the love that he has for you. Okay, a few people. Um, you know, tomorrow is a very, very big and important Sunday. For the rest of the world, and maybe like 10, 15, 20% of America, um, there's the biggest soccer derby in, um, in the world. It's Real Madrid against Barcelona tomorrow. Um, I'm a huge Barcelona fan, and um, so I am going to be watching that at 7 in the morning tomorrow. But funny story about that is that, you know, I've always wanted a son like and I'm like they're gonna f- carry on in the legacy and and, and and root for that team and Liana's like no I have to have a say in that and I'm like well what do you mean I'm like he's my boy like he's, he's my firstborn like he is the heir to my whatever throne I have um, and she's like no he has to decide I'm like why she's like well because I'm a Madrid fan okay like so it's always been like that and the only reason why my wife is a Madrid fan because she actually lived in Madrid for for um, for six months. So there's already a lot of differences in marriage, a lot of conflict. I just never thought that I would ever, um, when it came to soccer, that I, my wife would actually be my rival in that department <laughs> as well. So when you, think of, when you wake up, if you think about us tomorrow, please pray for our household. And more importantly, because I'm outnumbered. My son chose to follow Real Madrid. <laughs> yes, I mean, it was heartbreaking. But hopefully our little baby girl Mila will um, follow the light and follow Barcelona and then it'll be an even house. But, um, but yeah, if, if you're a sports fan, in April of uh, 2020, ESPN gifted us with a gift, with a gem of a TV series called The Last Dance. It's a series that featured the NBA Chicago Bulls and their pursuit for their sixth NBA championship. Michael Jordan was actually the focal point of this docu-series in which we saw how this iconic athlete revolutionized the sport and how his stardom transcends the U.S. and the world. This series gives a behind-the-scenes look into what Jordan actually put himself through in order to attain greatness. His greatness on the basketball court went well beyond his talent. What we saw was how his failures like him not making his high school basketball team, or the challenges of him not playing in in his college team right away, or even the trials that he faced when he made it to the league in the NBA, because success didn't um, come instantly to him, but it actually shaped him. We see that the challenges that Michael Jordan faced required a different solution. He needed to be different than the people that came before him. So Michael reached out to a professional trainer and began to put long hours behind the scenes, lifting weights and practicing when no one was was watching to reach his goal of becoming not just a champion, but the best basketball player in the world. In this example, we think of greatness in the terms of the, the athlete's performance and achievements. But people can become great in anything in life. Bill Gates with Microsoft, Steve Jobs with Apple, Jeff Bezos with um, Amazon, Mother Teresa and her ability to to be out in India and her kindness, Socrates in philosophy, 
or even Denzel Washington in acting, or anything else really. And looking at people we as Americans view as great, a lot of the time we only see a snippet of their lives. We see the major successes without ever seeing everything that actually goes into that. As a result of this, we mistakenly believe that greatness is something that instantaneously happens, that happens overnight. We see highlight reels, but not the long nights and the early mornings and the sacrifices that go on unseen in order for them to master their crafts. We don't see the failures or the trials or the challenges that these people had to go through to overcome. That's one of the reasons why I really enjoyed this documentary. It showed us that talents, gifts, and abilities can open certain doors, but there's still work that needs to be done, even for people like Michael Jordan to achieve greatness. It is said that it takes about 10,000 hours of intensive practice to become a professional at something. Malcolm Gladwell says that this theory is actually more of a metaphor. A metaphor for the extent of commitment that is needed in order to attain mastery in a particular area. So for us as Jesus followers, what does this look like? What does it look like for us to have greatness in the realm of spirituality? What does the work behind the scenes look like for us? When we think about greatness in our faith, it's easy to look at the work and the doings of those around us. And one of the things that we kind of need to be careful about is that these observations, and these observations that we can oftentimes measure ourselves up to these people. For example, we can look at some of the saints in the faith and admire their pursuit for Jesus and the extremes that they went through and put themselves through to serve God and, and, and to ultimately have uh, closeness to him. Or we can see miracles and life change or even platforms, um, audiences, books written, all these different things. And we automatically assume that, man, that, those people have God's favor in their lives. But unknowingly, we can oftentimes dismiss ourselves from feeling like we can ever attain closeness to God or ever be used by Him. Some of us might look into their lives and even go as far as to try to imitate them. And we look at what they're doing and, and we feel like that's what makes the difference into living this godly life. So we look at the exterior things. But when we look at them closely, we oftentimes miss that it's who makes these men and women unique. It's not the what, it's the who. It's not necessarily what they're doing, but who they are encountering that allows them to participate in what God is doing. Prayer is the work behind the scenes, the work that we get to engage God in, and the transformation happens. It's from this transformation that the Spirit of God works through us to reach and, and build His kingdom. Last week, we talked about how prayer is the bridge that moves us from, being a, from living our lives just aware of God to actually being people that are living in the presence of God. We learned that prayer is where the power of Jesus resides. 
Jesus' prayer life is what made him unique. And because it is in prayer that Jesus' relationship with God is cultivated. In prayer, we invite the Spirit of God to search us, to bring to light what is not aligned, and He ultimately leads us to change. The Spirit of God becomes a guide for us, or a trainer, if you will. In our lives, it helps us and leads us. Its guidance can oftentimes start by bringing just awareness to the areas where we're struggling. It invites us to engage God in those specific areas. The Spirit invites us to journey uh, into a journey of discovery to, of what has formed us, but most importantly, it brings to light the areas where we struggle to trust in God. The Spirit guides us to the Father's love, and that trumps anything else that we might find comfort in. This journey is where we learn to trust in the Father's love, and this is what builds our faith. There is power in prayer because in prayer we come in to the presence of God. And it's there where we are filled with His Spirit. It's in this place where change and transformation happens. We cannot be in the presence of God and expect to remain the same. I was at Saddleback Church for 10 years, and one of the most profound things that I ever heard Pastor Rick, a phenomenal teacher, say was, after the passing of his son, he took a 16-week sabbatical, and one of the first things that he came out and said was like, um, that he spent all hours, hours with God, and he's like, I, you can't expect to meet with God and come out the same, and he wasn't the same. It wasn't anything he was saying, it was just something about him that you could just feel that he had experienced and encountered God in a whole different way. And that's one, and I, and I was under his teaching for 10 years, but that's like at the top of the list of the biggest takeaways that I ever got from him. But we see this in the Bible. Moses is the great example of this. Whenever Moses met with God, his face was always radiated. We see this in Exodus 34. In the transfiguration, Jesus shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light when he was in the presence of the Father. These two examples can sound kind of foreign or maybe even surreal, but this is the mystery and the wonder of God. Prayer is this mysterious encounter between God and man in which we experience his love that ultimately transforms us. Again, Thomas Green's definition of prayer is that the goal of prayer is to encounter God in love. And by love, Teresa of Avila says this. It says, love consists not in the extent of our happiness, but in the firmness of our determination to try to please God in everything. In which case, prayer requires us to remain persistent. Prayer is an invitation for us to remain persistent. Because persistence is essential in our discipleship to Jesus. Persistence is the work, the repetitions, the long hours, the struggles, the failures, the work that goes unseen in our lives. Persistence manifests itself in our prayer life. Our prayer life is then the work, the long hours that come from our struggles, our failures, where we commune with God. 
Let's listen to the words of Jesus. If you have your Bible, it'll be on, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus says, Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room. Shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine that they'll, they'll be heard for their many words. But don't be like them, because your Father knows the things that you need before you ask Him. What Jesus is showing us is that our prayer life is so much more than what we say. Prayer is personal, and it's a connection between you and God. Private prayer is essential and primary to our discipleship to Jesus. Let's notice the, the, the kind of like the first movement that where Jesus brings awareness to this. He says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their just reward. Right? Jesus is kind of insinuating the, the religious leaders, the, the teachers of the law, right? by saying hypocrites. Jesus is not impressed with our public prayers. Public prayers are the ones that we say before a meal or when we pray for one another at church or maybe even in a Bible study. Public prayers can become like highlight reels we see. We often use prayer time, if we're being honest, and prayer circles to talk to God. But unknowingly, we use them as an opportunity to maybe show how much we know or what, we, or, or what we've experienced, or what we think about God. Our prayers, and I've been a part of them, and I've actually been guilty of this, our prayers can actually become like sermons. And we become unaware of those around us. We need to be careful that these prayers are not spaces we're using for our own piety, for our own gain. Group prayer is important, don't get me wrong, but it can only flourish when private prayer has been cultivated. Our ability to pray for other people it's secondary to our ability to our private prayer. A word of caution on this. The devil is at work to try to kill and destroy us as followers of Jesus. Oftentimes we think that when we pray, we're only going to encounter God. But we need to be aware that on the road to encountering God, we will meet the devil along the way. And it often comes in our time of prayer. Prayer needs to be approached with humility. Humility because prayer can be a way for us to try to impress those around us. If we're not careful, prayer can be something we use to try to just fit in. Prayer can also be used to cultivate um, anger and frustration that can lead us towards further distancing ourselves from God. Group prayer should be a time to bless people, 
not for our gain. Our public prayers should be an expression of our private prayers. Let's look at what Jesus invites us to, to what's important and what matters, which is intimacy with him. He says, when you pray, go into a private room, close the door behind you, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees you in secret will reward you. Notice the place that Jesus is pointing to. He is using here a private room to speak to the Father in secret. Jesus points out to a private room, but in a different translation, it uses the word supply room. Frederick Buhner, in the commentary um, that I used to, to help me with this message, shares how a supply room in a Palestine farm was the only room that can be locked. This is important. Jesus is beginning to shift the way that people believed and thought they could only encounter the living God. The temple was a place of worship and prayer. This is where people thought they could only come to face to face with the living God. The Holy of Holies is the place where that encounter happened. But not everybody was eligible. Not everybody had the uh, ability or the accessibility to that. It was only the priests. This is a belief that had been carried on since the Old Testament. But Jesus was now shedding light to the accessibility of God in our lives. What Jesus is doing is now, he's now shaping prayer to be more than just an act that shows our devotion to God. But prayer is, not be, is, is now becoming the place of encountering him. Our time with Jesus in the private room of our hearts, our hearts now become that secret place where we encounter Jesus the same way that he also encounters God. Jesus is ushering in gently the accessibility of God and his desire for us as people to draw closer to him in our hearts. Intimacy and death is an expression of the love that God has for us. It's a gift. This is one explanation why prayer can be so mysterious, because it's experiential and personal. Prayer is where we encounter the living Christ. It's in this encounter where we learn how to speak to Him, where we learn also how to listen. This is where intimacy is, is cultivated. Intimacy because we learn to trust Jesus with our being. And this is a journey of learning how to trust Jesus with our minds, the realities that we have kind of created for ourselves, the lies and the truths that we live by, with our bodies and the way that we live our lives out, the way that we treat those around us, in our hearts, the reasoning behind why we do what we do, most importantly, the, the hurts, the fears, the failures that we have experienced that have led us to ultimately guard ourselves. All these parts of our being can prevent us from allowing anybody in, including Jesus. And it prevents us from experiencing intimacy with Him. But when we walk and slowly learn to trust, 
It is this intimacy that we begin to live with that in our lives are transformed. Our lives are transformed because of the intimacy that we're able to build and create with God. Prayer is not formulaic. It's personal. And this is the beauty of Jesus Christ and what he invites us to. You and I are unique. We have a different way of responding to the demands of this world. It's not right or wrong. It's just different. But in that difference is where Jesus makes himself available to us. You and I have had very different life experiences. And those experiences have shaped and formed who we are. We respond differently to what happens to us because of what's happened to us. But listen to the words of Mother Teresa. Perfect prayer does not consist in many words, but in the fervor of the desire which rises the heart of, to Jesus. Prayer is so dynamic because it's here where we learn how to speak to Jesus. We learn how to process and express our feelings and emotions. Our emotions are powerful motivators, but oftentimes we don't know what they are, so we respond without thinking. But in prayer, we can learn what they are, where they come from, and how we react to them. It's here where we learn how to offer them up to Jesus and surrender them. Prayer is the place where it doesn't matter how much of the Bible we know, how many degrees we have in theology, how many books we've read, how many passages of Scripture we've memorized, what's in our bank account. None of that matters. Prayer is the bridge into a mysterious unknown. But if we're willing, it's here where we encounter the wonder of God. We gotta bring ourselves to it. We gotta be willing to journey with him in it. Jesus says, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. What Jesus is inviting us to is simple, to engage with him, with our hearts. We can come to the Father in prayer. We don't need to come with this lengthy explanation of why, where, what, and who. It's not the quantity of our prayers that gets God's attention, but the quality of our prayers. By quality, it refers to the passion in which we do them. What Mother Teresa says, our prayers should be burning words coming forth from the furnace of our heart. I don't know about you, but this is liberating to me. Because when I'm in a challenging moment, when I'm inches away from sinning, I don't have the ability to come up with a 5,000 word paper or prayer to bring to God so that he can hear me. If I'm being honest, I can barely come up with five words. Usually it's like one or three. Jesus, help, deliver me. Where are you? I need you. These statements are brief and intense. Why? Because I am des in desperate need of Jesus in those moments. And that's what he's inviting us to. We are brief, direct, and intense 
because we know that he is near and listening. In Matthew 26, we get a glimpse of what prayer looked like for Jesus on the night that he was going to be betrayed. In this chapter, we read how Jesus felt sorrowful and troubled. He even told his disciples that he was grieved to the point of death. So he prayed and even asked God, hey, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I, but as you will. Many of us, when we're facing challenges, we're so quick to go to that second part of Jesus' prayer and ignore the first part. But even Jesus allowed himself to bring to God his emotions and what he was going through. It's like Jesus was saying, I don't want to go through this. It's going to be too tough. It's going to be too painful. Jesus didn't dismiss or brush aside what he was going through. He chose to meet God in that difficulty. And from that release, he was able to endure. His endurance came not from his own strength, but from the filling of the Holy Spirit in his life. This filling came from this prayer. His time with God is an honest, vulnerable, and transparent moment with the Father. Jesus' prayer was intense, so much so that he was actually sweating blood at one point. It was brief and to the point, but because he had cultivated a life in constant connection in conversation with God, he knew that his father was present and listening in his hour of desperate need. And this is our part, to be engaging with God in what Martin Luther says about prayer. He says, prayer should be brief, frequent, and intense. Our prayer life becomes our encountering with Jesus, our encounter with Jesus. Our encounter with him cannot leave us the same. So we are being transformed by the Spirit of God in this encounter. Our prayer life becomes the training ground for our souls. This work that is done by the Holy Spirit is the work that goes unseen. The work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that transforms us to become the people that we're called to be happens where no one else can see it. It all takes place in a private room, in the supply room of our lives, in the secret place of our hearts, because that's where we come face to face with Jesus Christ. Prayer is our way of remaining persistent. What the Bible says, to ask, to seek, to knock on the door. This is our part, where we accept the invitation to encounter Jesus in everything that we do. This is where the mystery and the wonder of God collide. And the collision is in the human heart. It's in your heart. It's in my heart. In prayer, we are being guided into the heart and the life of God. And it's in prayer that we meet and encounter Him. Our practice for the week is this. To find a time during the day where there's no distractions, no books, no phones, nothing. Where you can spend good 10 minutes quiet in the presence of God. Your mind will wander. 
It will want to lead you to get up and go and get things done. It's going to make you feel uncomfortable. But that's not God. That's the devil. Those things are just wanting to pull you away. But God can use them to re-engage with him. You can re-engage God by simply asking him this question when those things happen. What am I running away from? What am I running away from? This question ushers in the Holy Spirit and settles our minds. And it cuts straight through some of those, uh, some of that clutter. And what it really does, it brings to the surface the emotions that lead us to run away. Some of those emotions are anxiety, fears, maybe from our past hurts or some failures. Some of us, these emotions, even me labeling them, make us uncomfortable. They're so foreign to us because we've never acknowledged them. We live so busy lives that we're unaware of what's happening inside of us. But it's okay, because the Spirit of God is our guide. What am I running away from? What am I running away from? We sit still and allow the Spirit of God to guide us, to speak to us. It's in these emotions where we get to understand the formation that's taking place in our hearts and how Jesus wants to bring healing to those parts of our lives. You might need professional help, and that's okay. I want to encourage that. Uh, psych- psychologists, uh, therapists, they're, they're good. They're, they're there to help us uncover and put words to these things, to these emotions. It's not a bad thing to go seek help. We're just, sometimes we just don't know what we don't know. These people are trained to help us process these and put labels to these things. Identify them, I should better say. We have a lay ministry here, a spiritual direction. It's not counseling, but for us, we're, we're here to help guide you and walk you through and maybe bring to light something that you might not be aware of. That's something you're interested in in your prayer card. Just put spiritual direction. We'll reach out to you. We'll set up some time to just kind of talk to you and listen to you and hear what God is doing in your life. But nothing supplements your time with Him. Everything is secondary. But your time with Him is valuable and essential. We can't run away from that. We just can't. It's too vital for for us as humans. Not even as disciples, but just for humans. It's just essential. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to pray a blessing over our time together. I want to pray a blessing over our family, our church family. Lord, you're just so kind to us. Pray that you would just fill us with your spirit, God. We need you. We're nothing without you. 
Lord, would you guide us? Would you fill us? Would you just put words to what we're feeling, to what we're going through? And would you place the right people in front of us that, where we can experience your love and your comfort? Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Amen.